Well, take your Bibles and turn to the last book in the New Testament. In fact, the last book in the Bible, and that is the book of Revelation. Now, we're beginning a series on the book of Revelation, and I have been so looking forward to starting this series. Uh, Would have started it last week, but uh, once again, my bug convinced me otherwise. But it's such a blessing to look into uh, this book of the Bible. It's often a book that brings a lot of controversy and a lot of debate within the Christian community, unfortunately. But it's a book that speaks to the power and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a book that reminds us God wins. It's a book that centers on God bringing all that is so messed up in this world into its right place where God reigns here on earth and where evil is vanquished and where God prevails. So as we look into this book, we're going to see a lot of dark passages that deal with the judgment of God on humanity. But we're also going to see the loving God who is still there, who reaches out to man, who provides for man. It's a book that really centers on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's why I'm so excited about sharing this book, this introductory passage of Scripture with you this morning, because it's such an important part of our understanding of who God is and what God does. So let's look into this first part I've entitled this morning's message, Jesus, the first, last, and everything in between. Now, as we come to this book, we find, first of all, the purpose of the book, and it's laid out for us right here in this first verse. And the purpose of this book is, first of all, to present to Christ's servants the things that will soon take place. Look at what it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, when we hear the word revelation, we find that it's from a Greek word that we get our word apocalypse from. And a lot of times when we think in terms of apocalypse, we're thinking in terms of disaster and destruction and all of the things. If somebody is being apocalyptic, then they're talking about terrible things that are visited upon humanity. But really, the word revelation or apocalypsis really carries with it the idea of something that is hidden being revealed. And that's exactly what God is sharing with us as we embark on our study in the book of Revelation. God is taking hidden things, things that we don't know, things that we can't know, and God is unveiling them to us. He's letting us see truths that are important. Really, I mean, this is God's final word in the Scripture. And He wants us to grasp the teachings and the truths of this passage. It's important for us to grasp. So this is what John is laying out for us. This is a revelation of whom? Of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. This is something that shows us a fuller picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. When we think about the Gospels, we're introduced to Jesus. We find Him ministering, dying on the cross, raising from the dead. We find in the book of Acts His ascension into heaven. 
We find in the letters that the apostles wrote more information about Jesus, and even in the Gospels and the Epistles, we have a glimpse into future things. But the book of Revelation is a time where God really drills down on these future things and really shares with us important truths concerning these. So this is something that I think we should all, with excitement and anticipation, look into. Now, this revelation of Jesus Christ, it is a revelation that was given to His servants about the things that must soon take place. This is a gift to us. It's shared with us by John. And what's really amazing about John is this. He is the same man who wrote the Gospel of John and the three letters that John wrote, the three epistles of John. And now as we conclude with the book of Revelation, this is John as well. But what's truly remarkable about John is this. When we look in the Gospel of John, we see the beginning of his ministry with Jesus Christ. We see who Jesus is as John presents him to be the Word who was with God and who was God. We find that Jesus had a ministry on planet earth, that he died on the cross to bring salvation to us. All of these things are shared because John began at the ministry of Jesus' beginning. And he shares these things with us. But now, he's given a glimpse into what is to come. And by virtue of him being given that glimpse, we're given that glimpse as well. We get to see more about Jesus. John shares this testimony when he wrote this in the first epistle that he wrote. And it says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John is sharing that he had an intimate and personal knowledge of Jesus, that experientially he walked with him, he touched him, he saw him, he heard him. He knew Jesus. And this testimony that he gives in this letter is expanded upon now in the book of Revelation. In fact, John went on to say this, the life was made manifest. In other words, we were able to see Jesus. And he goes on to say, we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has been made manifest to us. So this is Jesus. This is who this book is about. And John is giving us testimony as to who he is and what he has done. And he's sharing with us the things that must soon take place. This is the Jesus who John described in his gospel in this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is Jesus the one who existed before creation itself, and the one who will bring the program of God, the plan of God, to a close. This is what Revelation will share with us. Now, what's unique about Revelation, though, is this. Look at the last sentence of that first verse. It says, He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John. What we'll find as we go through the book of Revelation, 
is there is an angelic escort who comes and shows John the revelation that he pens in this book. He shares with us that an angel, a spiritual being sent by God, brought John to see, to have vision of these things. It's an amazing statement about the source for much of the information that John has in this book. Now, something else we find as we look into this book. John is saying that he bore witness to the Word of God and even to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And what he's going to share with us is all that he saw. As God takes that which is hidden, pulls back the veil, and gives John an opportunity to see it, his testimony to us is that here in the book of Revelation, John is giving us a peek behind the curtain as well. Isn't it great that God has given us this opportunity? Rather than looking upon the book of Revelation as something that's confusing and something that's frustrating, we need to view the book of Revelation as just a peek behind the curtain at what God is going to do. Because that's exactly what it is. And it's all concerning the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, something else that we're going to see as far as the purpose of this book. The purpose of this book is also to prepare God's people for what is to come. Look at the third verse of Revelation. By the way, for those of you who are new to us, we do have outlines in the bulletin, and there are blanks, and the yellow letters are what you put in the blanks. So if you want to follow along with notes, you're more than welcome to. But back to our sermon. We see that the book of Revelation is to prepare God's people for what is to come. Look at what the third verse says. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. Now let's unpack what he's saying here in this third verse. First of all, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. This prophecy, this book, was meant to be shared. It's one of the only books in the Bible that shares you're blessed when you read it. Now, we know that we're all blessed as we read the Word of God, but there's a special blessing that is given at the beginning of the book of Revelation and then even at the conclusion of the book of Revelation in the study of it. Unfortunately, Revelation is a book of the Bible that has brought so much controversy, so much debate within the church. Many Christians avoid the book of Revelation. They look at it and they say, it's too confusing, it's too controversial, I'm just going to leave it alone and not pay any attention to it. That goes directly against what God says in His Word that we should do with the book of Revelation. We need to read it. We need to grasp the points of this book. We need to see that it is a prophecy, God speaking to us about what is to come. That is the purpose of this book. Now, let me just say a word about prophecy. A lot of times when we think in terms of prophecy, we think in terms of a prediction that is coming about. That is really an incomplete view of what prophecy is. Prophecy isn't looking down through the corridors of time and saying, this is what I see probably happening. 
Prophecy in reality is God giving us a glimpse into His eternal purpose and plan. And it is God saying to us, I'm letting you in on what my purpose and plan is in this area. It is God saying, this is what I am doing. Prophecy is opening that door so that we can see into it. This is what God wants us to understand about this prophecy. This is a glimpse into what God is doing, and it is something that benefits us, blesses us. But look at the last part of that third verse. We're blessed when we hear it, but we're also to keep it. Now, what does the Word of God mean that I am to keep the book of Revelation? What it means is this. There is a view that is presented to us in the book of Revelation as to who Jesus is. Jesus is the coming King, and He reigns at the side of God even now. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is Almighty God. If I really understand who Jesus is, I'm going to come under His authority, and I'm going to live a life that is obedient to the things that Jesus teaches. That's the idea that I think John is getting across when he says, we will keep the things in this book. Our view of Jesus is going to directly influence our obedience. If all I do is picture Jesus as that baby in the manger and as a really good teacher, that's going to cause me to behave one way. But if I look at Jesus as Almighty God, as King of kings and Lord of lords, that's going to radically change the way I interact with Him and the way I read what the Bible teaches about Him. I am going to come under His authority, and I'm going to be obedient to Him. Part of the purpose of the book of Revelation is to teach us that it's important for us to live in obedience to Jesus Christ because of who He is. That's crucial for us to grasp. But there's something else that's stated in this. The purpose is to show us what is to come. We need to understand that God has a plan for our world that is unfolding. And when it says in this text that the time for these things that are described in the book of Revelation are near, what in the world does it mean? I mean, this was written almost 2,000 years ago. How can God say that the time is near when it's been 2,000 years? Well, Peter gives us an insight into this when he writes the following, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is a day. So it's been a couple of days as far as God is concerned, as far as these things being fulfilled. But then it goes on to say this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness. But look at this. Is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Isn't that a beautiful verse? The heart of God is that He holds open the opportunity for people to come into a personal relationship with Him. 2,000 years means millions of opportunities for people to come into right relationship with God. 
Jesus can come at any time when the Scripture says that it is near. It's not talking about proximity and time. What it's talking about is it could happen at any time, that Jesus Christ could return at any time. So while we may look back and say, it's been 2,000 years and He hasn't come, guess what? We're 2,000 years closer to Christ's return than we were when this was written. And if it was near then, then it's really near now. And we need to have that perspective as we think about Jesus Christ coming again. Something else we see as we look into this first chapter. As we come to verse 4, we find the prominence of Christ in God's plan. And first of all, what we're going to see is His position as a Savior and Messiah. Now, the book of Revelation, parts of it really read like a letter. As a matter of fact, for the next couple of chapters, we're going to find literal letters that are written to actual churches where God wants to communicate truths to them. And not just to them, it's recorded in the eternal Word of God, so it's really a message to all of us. So here, this letter begins by saying, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Now, we're going to unpack that when we get into chapters 2 and 3. But what is being said is, we have a message for you, and really he begins this letter like he begins many letters or like many of the writers of that period did, and it's with this statement, grace to you and peace. He's saying to them that God is extending his grace and his peace to you, but then what we find as we look in these next two verses, verses 4 and 5, is really a statement of the Trinity. Now, what do I mean by Trinity? I mean that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are three different persons and yet one God. And what we find as we look at this introduction, His extension of grace and peace is from Him who is and who was and who is to come. This is a statement of the Father. And what John is sharing with us are important truths about the Father. First of all, what it's sharing with us is that the Father is. In other words, God isn't some distant deity that sort of started the ball rolling with creation and then stepped back and said, hey, let's see what happens. God is present in this world and the unfolding of His plan right now. He is the God who is. Well, what does it mean that He is the God who was? The God who was means that God has existed in eternity past, before the creation of the world, before anything and everything, there was God. Now, I don't know about you, but man, that sort of bakes my brain. I'm a finite being. I had a start, I will have an ending. But God eternally exists in the past and will eternally exist in the future. He is God, pre-existent, but also existing forever. He is the God who is, who was, and who is to come. He will always be God. God never diminishes. Man, when we look at our human bodies, we diminish, right? I'm constantly writing checks in my mind that my body can't cash because my body is 62 years old. I can't do what I did when I was 18 years old. It's impossible. 
Not so with God. God never grows. God never learns more. God never changes. He was, He is, and He will ever be. That is God. So the first part of this greeting is speaking in terms of God. But then John moves on and he says, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne. Now, when we look at this part of the passage, this is where some of the confusion can come in when we look at a writing like John. Some of the language that we're going to find in this epistle, or excuse me, this revelation from God is couched in language that normally we don't use. It's almost a poetic language, it's a prophetic language, but it communicates, I think, some still important truths if we can unpack what it means. Who are the seven spirits? When we look in the Scripture, seven carries with it the idea of completeness. God started creation on the first day, completed it on the seventh day. So God's statement of completeness, wholeness, often carries with it the idea of seven. The seven spirits, many believe, and I would agree with them, refers to the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And as a matter of fact, there's even an Old Testament passage in the book of Isaiah that describes the Spirit of God in seven ways. In Isaiah chapter 11, the second verse, it says this, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, that would be the presence of God. Okay, so that's number one. The spirit of wisdom, that's number two. The spirit of understanding, number three. The spirit of counsel, number four. Of might, number five. Of knowledge, number six. And of the fear of the Lord, number seven. Many Bible scholars believe that perhaps John was referencing this passage in the book of Isaiah and the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit and who He is. So when it says here, the seven spirits who are before the throne, it's saying that this revelation comes from the Father, but it also comes from the Spirit. Bear in mind, the book of Revelation is inspired by the Spirit of God. He is responsible for moving John along to write the words of this book. These are not just the ideas of man, they come from the complete Spirit of God, who is God. And our responsibility as those who are followers of God and who are indwelt by the Spirit of God when we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our responsibility is to see what the Spirit communicates to us in this passage. But then look at the last part of this, <clears throat> verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Wow, what a description of who Jesus is. Look, He is Jesus the Christ. Now, Christ, remember, is not a part of His name. It's not like His last name where Jesus is the first name, Christ is the last name. Christ is a title. It is the Greek equivalent of the term Messiah, the anointed one, the one sent by God to accomplish our salvation and to reign on this earth over creation. This is truth about Jesus and the fulfillment of God's plan for Him to be the Christ. 
He is described as the faithful witness. As many of you know, the word witness in the original language in which the Scripture is written in the New Testament is the word martyr. Witness in the sense that he declares God, but also witness in the sense that he was martyred on the cross for our sin, and that's unpacked for us even more as we move into the latter part of this fifth verse. This is who Jesus is, and then he is the firstborn of the dead. Now, firstborn of the dead doesn't mean that that Jesus came into being, that he was born at some point. What is communicating is more position. You see, in the ancient Near East, when there is a family, the firstborn gets the inheritance for the whole family. It's really a discussion of position rather than birth order. And so what it's saying here when it says that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, it means He has authority over life and death. Jesus gives life to those who believe in Him. But as judge, He can also give death to those who reject Him because He is the firstborn of the dead. This is Jesus' power. Jesus is also a down payment on the resurrection from the dead. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so we look forward to a resurrection for all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So when it's describing Him as such, it's talking about this power. And then look at the last part of this first sentence of the fifth verse. And He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Man, we live in a messed up world. And I am so glad that the people of this world do not have final say. Yikes. Can you imagine? (laughs) Jesus is the ruler of every king and every king wannabe. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So as we enter this study into the book of Revelation, it is going to focus on that role of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see new things about His power, authority, majesty. All of these things are going to be focused upon as we look into this study. But then look at the next part of that fifth verse. We also see that Christ is prominent in this book because He provided for our sin and He makes us a part of His kingdom. Look at what it said. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Two statements. First of all, he loves us. Jesus Christ loves you. Man, I could never hear that enough. In my sin, in my rejection, Jesus loved me anyway. And He loves me still. What a great message that is unveiled for us about the love of Jesus Christ. But you know, He demonstrated that love so uniquely. In another of John's writings, he says this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. How did Jesus show His love? He showed it in the most powerful way possible. He laid down His life for us by going to the cross to die in our place that He might forgive us of our sins. When the Scripture says He loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood, it's really pulling that thought together. 
John wrote this again in that first letter. He is the propitiation. Propitiation very simply means satisfaction for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ died loving the world to offer any the opportunity to have a personal relationship with the Father through His sacrifice. That is the Jesus that we'll be studying as we drill down into this book. But then it doesn't stop there. Look at what else it says in verse 6. He not only forgave us from, from our sins, and by the way, that would have been enough, right? But he goes on to say, he has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus not only delivers us from sin, but he delivers us into his kingdom. We are a part of the kingdom of God because of the grace of God and because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he has made us priests to his God and Father. Have you ever thought of yourself as a priest? That's exactly what you are, according to the Word of God. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a priest. Now, what does a priest do? A priest has access to the Father. Every believer has access to the Father. We have the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, but we as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, can go directly to God because we are priests. Peter put it this way, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the God that's spoken of here in the book of Revelation and what was accomplished through His Son, Jesus Christ. Last part of this passage I want to share this morning. We have the promise of His coming. Now what we see as we come to verse 7 is important for us to grasp. It says, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, Amen. What John is talking about here is a physical, literal return of Jesus Christ. And what I mean by physical is this. Jesus Christ is not coming as some phantom spirit that will descend upon the earth. Jesus Christ is coming bodily, the resurrected Christ. This is the Jesus who is coming. He's described as coming in the clouds. And this speaks of language that we find in other passages that talk about the return of Jesus Christ. In the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says this, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them. Now where? In the clouds. Jesus Christ is coming in the clouds. We will meet him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Isn't that a great promise? This is Jesus' promise. He is coming again. He is returning. And that is a major theme that we're going to see as we look into this book of Revelation. Just as he left, he will return. In fact, when Jesus ascended, as the disciples were watching Jesus ascend into heaven, Luke records for us in the book of Acts, and while they were gazing into the heavens as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the return of our Messiah, of our Savior, of the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at what else this seventh verse brings out. Even those who have rejected Jesus will see him. This is a quotation, or at least a reference, to an Old Testament prophecy concerning the Messiah. The book of Zechariah Chapter 12, verse 10 says this, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on whom, him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over the firstborn. There is coming a time when those who have rejected Jesus as Messiah will look upon him whom they have pierced and see him for who he is. This is what we have to look forward to as God peels back the curtain and lets us have a peek at what is to come. Last thought that I want to share with you this morning. Jesus will powerfully keep these promises because of who he is. Look at eight. I am the Alpha and Omega. Now, those of you who are Greek scholars, or if you were in a fraternity or sorority, <laughs> you know that Alpha and Omega, the first letter of the alphabet, the last letter of the alphabet, right? He's the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And here, the Word of God reminds us who Jesus is. He's the Alpha and Omega, but He is also the one who is the one who was, the one who is to come, the Almighty. Wait a minute. Wasn't that just a description of God the Father when we looked earlier in the passage? Yes. So why would they use that as a description of Jesus? Because Jesus is God. He is deity. So when we look in this text and it's describing Jesus as such, what it's sharing with us is that Jesus keeps his promise to come again and to bring about our forgiveness of sins and to bring about his kingdom on earth of which we will share with him on the basis of his power and his sovereignty. Isaiah wrote the following, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, now listen to this, I am the first, I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Jesus is God. 
We should worship Him. We should come under His authority. Recognize He paid for your sin. And remember, He's coming again and you will be a part of His kingdom. So what that means to me as I look at these truths about Jesus and as I think about how I interact with Jesus is profound. Remember that third verse calls us to keep what is written in this book. If I'm going to keep what is written in the book of Revelation, what that means is this. I'm going to adjust my values, my decisions, my thought processes in light of what Jesus tells me in this book. The things of this earth are so temporary. As you age, you look back on how fast life moves on. It's amazing how quickly life moves. So if I'm investing in just the things of this life and this world, I'm selling myself short. What lasts, what is to come, what establishes a kingdom on this earth, these are the things revealed in this scripture that pertain to Jesus. So if I'm wise, I will follow and I will serve Jesus Christ. Not the things that evaporate and go away. So I think a question that all of us should ask ourselves is, how am I keeping the things written in this book? Do I really believe them? Do I believe that Jesus died on the cross and is coming again? Do I believe that I will give an account to him? And I'm not just talking lip service. I'm talking in the decisions that I make and in the way I live my life. Are these things that demonstrate themselves in the decisions that I make and in the way that I live? This book was written not just as an informational study in things to come, but to increase our understanding of who Jesus is and how we should respond to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the reminder that it is to us all that we serve a risen Savior, that by his blood we have forgiveness, by his mercy and grace we have a kingdom to look forward to. So dear God, my prayer is that we would be faithful to keep what is written in this book, understanding who it is we serve. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.